0: To understand. It's, so hard to understand
1: it's episode 23 of milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast your weekly milwaukee brewers podcast i'm steve garshinski and joining me as usual are jp breen and ryan top and you know doing the rundown for the show today um i'm not really sure what we're going to talk about there hasn't been a whole lot of action going on you guys have any ideas We'll talk about Jimmy Nelson's hyperbaric chamber. Okay, we're going to move on. Uh, You can rate and review the uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate baseball podcast on iTunes. It helps fans find the podcast, so just take a minute, leave five stars, and write something nice about us. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKETailgate, email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com, or follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate baseball podcast. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on a set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre-3 and MixPre-6. For more information, visit SoundDevices.com. Okay, so like I was saying earlier, there hasn't been a whole lot of news going on. But Ryan, I think you have the numbers in front of of you of uh, some of the arbitration settlements. Um yep. that the the team made with uh what six players, eight players? It was four players ended up
2: uh coming to agreements at sort of the last minute okay. on Friday before they uh before the, the figures would have to be exchanged to head to arbitration. So Jimmy Nelson signed for three point seven million. Um just slightly below that was uh Quirk Nable at three point six five. Um all these are one year deals. Um Found out that Jonathan VR had yeah 2.55 so two and a half million, and then Perez. The news came out like the next day. He settled for just slightly under two million at 1.975. All of that leaves the Brewers' payroll right now at. If you add in then the the number of players that they would have to have twelve players at league minimum, that would put them at just under seventy million. So about 69 million and that's not including Ryan Braun has 4 million dollars that he's not uh, he's he's technically making 20 million this year but 4 million of that is deferred. So in reality what their payroll is this year is somewhere right now in the mid 60s. So
1: at this point at assuming this point, they don't make yes. any sign-ins which I don't know. Uh, I guess everybody in baseball has decided not to sign anybody this off season.
2: Yeah, all it, those players are just going to like have to do something else. I guess. Yeah. You know like, what? You'll sell insurance. You're, and... Your
1: softball league this summer is going to be a lot tougher. <laughs> <laughs> right, JP. You worried about that? You got anybody who's going to play around you in uh, uh, South Bend?
0: In terms of, I don't know if, if,
1: if there's anybody of significance that has like an off season home in South Bend. You know, if they don't get signed,
0: I don't think so. Okay. I don't think there's anybody of significance around South Bend. They'd just be coming back. For, they'd
1: come back for alumni games because there are a few Notre Dame players that have uh, made it to the bigs. Sure. Absolutely. I don't think any of them live around here, though. Oh, okay. So, like I said, they'd come back for alumni events. Yeah, it's not exactly yeah, yeah. The, the garden spot of the world. <laughs> um, okay. So, I guess some news uh, came out yesterday. So, Saturday, uh, Garrett Cole was traded from the Pirates to the Astros. Uh, Players included in that deal going from the Astros to Pittsburgh are Joe uh, Musgrove, Michael Feliz, Colin Moran, and uh, Jason Martin. Um, Colin Moran was rated as the Astros' ninth prospect in baseball prospectus. Um, Otherwise, I think a lot of people haven't really been overly impressed with uh, what the Pirates got back for Garrett Cole, who just two years ago seemed like one of the top pitchers in the National League.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think in general, if you're looking at giving up somebody like Garrett Cole, who regardless of what you think he was able to do last year, it seems a little bit seems a little odd to completely evaluate him based on what he did last year. I know that he had some issues with the, the home run, but he's a young pitcher who has been able to take the ball every fifth, you know, every fifth day. He's able to eat innings and he's actually shown an ability to post near elite numbers over the course of an entire year whether or not it was last year is is kind of a different discussion and so I was really surprised to see basically the deal the Ast- the Astros were able to give up um basically of nothing imp- the, no impact talent if you look back at what, Say the White Sox were able to acquire for somebody like Jose Quintana. I mean, that was far better than I think anything that the Pirates were able to get for Garrett Cole. And I don't think that Quintana is a better pitcher by Cole by any stretch of the imagination. But was he? So a, I was,
2: oh, sorry. Was he a better uh, property? I guess what's the good way of saying it? He had four years on his contract or three and a half years on his contract versus Cole, who is has two years of control left but doesn't even have a guaranteed price point he was he's still
0: going through arbitration at this point i don't i that don't think that, I d- yeah and well, i don't think four the re- versus
1: two years of control but the price point but anyway oh yeah. yeah sure
0: well i was gonna say i don't think that there is anything in particular suggesting that garrett cole's issue was anything concerned concerning price or uh control years. Wait, but
2: I'm just talking about comparing the two players like Quintana brought part of the reason Quintana brought back more was because he had two more years of control versus Cole, who has two
0: years, four versus two. Right. Well, it was, I mean, right. But I'm saying that if you're looking at, at somebody like Quintana and we're, and we're suggesting that the reason he was able to bring back more is because of control years. That would, to me suggest that the reason people didn't want to acquire Cole was because of either how much he, the fact that he was only kind of locked up for two more years, or the fact that because he's in arbitration, there is no guaranteed price for him at the moment. And I'm, I'm saying that it doesn't seem to me that there is anything suggesting that the reason there weren't more people in on coal than, say, the Yankees or the Astros was anything because of, of control years. I understand you're saying like val- value in a vacuum. Suggests that somebody like Quintana could be worth more if you value control years over, say, production. But I'm suggesting that I I don't think that that makes sense unless you're just looking at these players in an absolute vacuum and not taking into consideration that uh, Cole was – Cole's price was set because nobody was bidding. When somebody like Quintana was acquired early in the middle of a year – when the White Sox didn't need to trade him. Well, there was also that issue, because Cole, we know at
2: least one other team, the Yankees, were bidding on him, but they had right, much like the the Astros had said this prospect, this prospect, this prospect, this prospect, all off limits. Like they had a right. big
0: off-limits list too. Yep, because they could afford to do it.
2: Yeah. Well and because Cole wasn't the definition of what they needed for their offseason. Like this was Be, he no, would have been because, a nice
0: thing to have, but not because the Astros and the Yankees were able to understand that the, the pirates were selling no matter what. And that they understood that they were the ones with the leverage and they basically could dictate the terms of who was off, who was going to be off limits and who was not going to be off limits. Somebody like the, the Cubs. So if we were to, to kind of reverse things by six months or whatever, and we're going back to what the white Sox and the Cubs were doing, if the, the Yankees obviously would have been in for Quintana, considering they were there for Gray. The Brewers were certainly in contention for for a starter. The Astros were in contention for a starter. You'd have to imagine that there were other teams, like obviously the, the Dodgers went out and got you uh, Darvish. That's a different situation than when there are just two teams going for a pitcher because they understand that they're not going to actually have to give up much for it. Than when Quintana was able to be sold for the first impact player that was able to come with Jimenez coming from the the Cubs. Okay, so maybe then we should talk about why this happened because
2: you
1: would well, certainly think that Quintana would be or sorry, hold on a second. I want to I want to get to something else. Okay, first. JP, okay. I know that you uh, liked the Pirates last year. They weren't quite playing great baseball, but they're hanging around, and you thought that they were a team that could play better than what their record suggested. Yeah. Do you think they're kind of thrown in the towel on Cole a little early, especially considering this return?
0: I do. Uh, I actually think that the Pirates have, uh, have seemingly made a decision that they're not going to be trying to compete this year. Um, I think that they looked at what the, the position in which the Cubs are in, and I think that they have made a strategic decision based on what the Cardinals have done, and I think the Pirates don't think that they can compete, um, or they're not in a great position to compete. But I think that the one thing the Pirates are doing is they clearly wanted pieces that were MLB ready per se. Uh, they, you know, with Musgrove, with, uh, with Colin Moran, they're going to be filling two holes. Like you don't have any question who's going to be filling Col spot in the rotation. And they're going to be able to actually get somebody who can handle third base. And they have team control. So I imagine that the Pirates are thinking, we didn't think we were going to compete anyway, but we just got two young players. And if they break out and things happen, you know, they happen to break correctly. You know what? Maybe we'll pull a Brewers and we'll have an ability to kind of slide into the back end. Uh, But I think what you're seeing is that the Pirates are looking at their situation going into 2018 and they're reacting to what the Cardinals have done. And I think the Pirates don't think that they can compete. And so they're going... That's a lot
1: when you consider they gave up a guy who really is a potential ace. I mean Is he? I, I, I mean he has he has ace stuff, but he's never really pitched up to
2: that. And I know he's only he's he said it into his age
1: twenty well, six season. I so not to say I'm giving I want to take all the outs possible, but I said potential ace. I didn't say like he was Necessarily, Garrett- that guy we think of every it's season, year in and year out. But Garrett Cole for two seasons, I mean, you could cash on cash in on a pretty big season with him.
0: Garrett Cole in 2015 put together a 2.6 ERA over 200 plus innings. Yes, at 24 years old, there is. Yep. An, I I have a really difficult time suggesting that we are that we cannot say he has shown an ability to that he has ace stuff, but not ace production when he has already done it over a course of a year when he had and that it was not last year but it was in 2015 yeah
2: and then but the last two years he, he's seen the era go up so he's not yeah and he's not missing as many bats well the strikeout rate was about the same but uh he also and only made he also, well, No, he, only, he also made only made 21 starts in 2016 what was the injury in 2016 he did he did miss time with injury in 2016, and also it looks like in 2014. So he missed some time in there. Because I know I that there were some concerns as to whether or not I, – I, I, yeah, I saw some discussion among Yankee fans when they were like, well, he has injury concerns.
0: Well, the Yankee fans also were pretty invested in not spending as much as possible. Just like any time the Brewers are putting it in any conversation with like Chris Archer, everyone's like, "Well, Chris Archer has never actually had the production, so therefore we shouldn't have to pay all that much. I mean, you should just take so,
1: Corey Ray as a headliner, right? <laughs> Corey
0: Ray. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. So, I I mean, I get the fact that Garrett Cole had home run issues last year and that's the reason why his ERA ballooned over the over previous years. But I don't necessarily understand where this entire narrative came that Garrett Cole is a mid-rotation starter at best when he has the production in the past. He has... Everybody already admits that he has good quality stuff. The only reason everybody is talking about the fact that he is not an ace-level pitcher is just because of the fact that they're looking at 2017 and recency bias that everybody cannot understand or they can't break out of the fact that what they have seen most recently is going to continue rather than seeing it as a blip on the radar. If you actually take a wider view.
2: Yeah, that's it's fair. I, I'm not sure what to think of Garrett Cole at this point, because so when you see a four for one trade like this, there's, there's always that aspect of, yes, they didn't get any elite talent, but they did get four guys who have
0: what it was a total of 22 years of control or something. Um, right, but can oh yeah, you say uh, out okay. of out of anybody that they anybody that they actually got back in that trade, or any of them potentially as good as what Garrett Cole is was last year? Even. Well,
1: I know the the BP write up for uh, Moran basically said, uh, "Do teams carry fifth infielders?" Right, because that's yeah. kind of what they looked at. He he plays a, a corner infield spot, so he doesn't have a lot of flexibility. He's not an athletic. Uh, player so you know he isn't able to really move around the diamond or do anything besides play third base and he was prone to like some pretty big cold streaks at the plate so if the guy's not hitting he's not going to be worth anything he can hit but you know it's not some guarantee so i mean you know they kind of got guys but they didn't get anything that's really it still seems like the upside of garrett cole is worth more than what they got in this trade
0: uh yeah absolutely but i mean The Astros said that, uh, I I believe it's Jordan uh, Alvarez, their first base prospect who kind of was a breakout guy last year. They put him off limits and he's like their fifth best prospect maybe. Wow. And yeah, like, that's not, that's not somebody that, unless you understand that you're driving the negotiations that you put on a no trade list. So then what do we think compelled the Pirates to feel that they had to move him now? I think that they decided they were going to trade him. And I don't maybe it's money. I don't think so. I think it's the fact that they are trying to understand what they're going to do with uh Andrew McCutcheon. And if they have decided that they need to move Andrew McCutcheon because of, you know, there's no reason to keep him on the roster going forward, it they and they potentially have replacement in in Austin Meadows. But I think if they're looking at the fact that they're moving on from Andrew McCutcheon, then likely they don't necessarily think they're going to be as good or they're going to be able to improve next year. And therefore, Garrett Cole doesn't fit anymore. Hey, so
1: is this flying in the face of uh, Doug Melvin's old adage that he could get more in the offseason for trades than he could during the season? Because Hmm. the returns and interest in players this offseason has been, uh, I guess, less than expected. Well, people, people always disagreed with that to begin, or I shouldn't say everybody disagreed with it, but a lot of people did disagree with with it because you know what? It's more fun when you're coming up on the trade deadline and you know, something has to happen as opposed to when you're in the off season and it's a bit more wide open when you're in the off season, you can
0: generally get more people interested in your players. Generally, that's what Melvin would say. That's what Melvin is saying. But I think that Steve brings up a great point. Who is buying right now? Who is buying elite talent right now? Yeah, it's a pretty limited... Okay. Hold,
1: hold on, I want to get to this. Okay, this is this on Twitter today. Free agency isn't crawling because teams are getting smarter. Trades for established big leaguers aren't underwhelming. Or, <laughs> if you guys would quit doing all your hand gestures while I try to get through this. Trade <laughs> for established big leaguers aren't underwhelming because guys like Cole aren't really that good. The problem is limited number of teams that are buying. The stratification between contenders and everyone else is very bad. And that is from our very own J.P. Breen. So... JP if you want to go into the a little bit more
0: about why this is maybe
1: affecting off-season trades.
0: I think it's affecting off-season trades. I think it's something to do with why free agency is really crawling at the moment because if you try to to look at right now in say the National League the Dodgers are clear favorites in the West. The Cubs are clear favorites in in the Central, and now the Cardinals are making a run for it as well. And the Nationals are head and shoulders better than everybody in the East. Why are you going to go and actually try to spend either the money or the prospects to acquire somebody that is elite, or at least is going to be paid as if they are elite, I mean, you really when you know don't have ha, when you don't have a chance to compete in 2018. I well, mean, I think that there is I and I've said it is, you know, whether it's it's Archer, whether it's Arietta, or whether it's somebody else like you can acquire these people for more than one year. But I don't necessarily think teams are operating in that way at the moment. Um, I was thinking about this
2: after I saw that you tweeted that this morning. And it, it another way I'm thinking about it is. You're looking at those three teams, the Cubs, the Nationals and the Dodgers. I think that with the exception of perhaps the Cardinals, maybe, I think that any other team in the National League right now is looking at the, yes, they can improve themselves. Yes, the Brewers can improve themselves. Yes, uh, the Giants can improve themselves. Yes, any of these teams can can do things. But the reality is the best case, the best likely case scenario is you get to the playoffs, and you're probably going to have to win a one-game play to To advance. And then you are going to look at the teams across from you and you're going to go, I'm facing two teams that are better than me on paper, considerably better than me on paper. And even if I even if I go and add six, seven, eight wins right now in the offseason, I'm still gonna be looking at likely having to win a one-game play-in and then beat two teams that are better than me. To advance to the World Series, and that's just to get to well. The World hold Series. on, I mean, so he, you're talking about a very high hill to climb right now, where the good
1: teams are so good. But it's not unusual. We've seen a number of these wildcard teams win a play in, win that one game play in game, and then go through the playoffs. You yeah, can. I,
2: so yeah, I'm mean, listen, but
0: the the teams right now that are good are better than they have been in the past. There is a sure. there is a there is a clear difference between every. It doesn't matter the division you're looking at, whether it is the American League or the National League. There is a clear favorite. And the only place I think you can maybe make an argument that there's not a clear favorite is the AL East, where you've got the Yankees and the Red Sox. But those are teams that are spending. I was going to say, it's almost
1: because that's top heavy, not because, you know, there are mediocre teams there. Right, right, right. right. So everybody else in that division still has that, you know. They're still looking up in the standings and saying, how the heck are we going to catch these guys? When we think the the NL is
2: stratified, the AL is even worse. You've got the Yankees and the Red Sox bashing each other's brains in at a $200 million payroll level. The Angels have decided to become
1: something like, hopefully, they're trying to become a super team. You know, but you look at it, they they seem to have at least a couple teams in every division that are fighting it out. If you want to say the Angels and the Astros in the West, you have the Yankees. But the the Angels
0: are anywhere near Astros level.
1: No, well, but things kind of break, right? Or something like that. I mean, at least you feel like there,
0: there's, there's a bit of a, a challenge dream on, right? Yeah, but like in the NL, you where you have the Dodgers, I mean, you do have the Rockies and the Diamondbacks that are OK, right? And yeah. they are looking to spend a little bit. I mean, the Rockies have recognized that they can spend a lot of money in the bullpen and try to improve themselves for the next couple of years to try to kind of improve on the margins. And the Diamondbacks have been kind of quietly moving in the background in which they might actually acquire some players as well
2: and i think you Um, can throw the brewers into that same category of teams that can be good absolutely but they're only going to acquire people at their
0: prices i think that that's yeah
2: sure well though the rockies have maybe been a little over aggressive in terms of spending on the bullpen maybe i mean but if those aren't like massive contracts is it a big deal
0: Wade Davis. They've only time. been one or two year deals outside of Wade Davis, but that's a three year deal on somebody that's proven to be an elite arm over the last five years.
2: Well, the, the Rockies have signed three relievers to three year deals. McGee, Davis. I thought and... McGee was a two-year deal. Now McGee's three also. Fair enough. Yeah, they had a, and the, the other guy they signed also was a three year deal. So
0: But even if they have to eat even if they have to eat those contracts at most, it's what, $10 ten million, eleven million? At the back end, yeah, they could have, they could be looking at a pretty ugly peril situation heading into 2020 if those things go south on them. But yeah, I don't necessarily know if, if like 25, 30 million dollars in dead money is that big of a deal anymore when people are pushing 120 to 130 and they have a farm system in which they can actually, you know, uh, I think that what the Rockies have realized is that they can hit the ball with players that they don't need to spend a lot of money on. Um, Yes. And that what they need to do is that they need to invest in in the starting rotation. But that's where they have a lot of young pitchers coming through right now, whether you're talking Gray, whether you're talking Hoffman, Marquez, you know, they've got and they've actually still got arms coming through the system. And they were missing Gray for a bunch of last season, too. Absolutely. They were. So I think the Rockies have just taken a look at their situation and realized that if they do it, the smart money, if you will, is investing it in. The bullpen and even the, ba- the worst case scenario is like 30 million dollars of dead money in three years yeah i mean
2: it's it definitely doesn't have the downside of some of the bigger moves um which gets us to the idea of where are all these free agents gonna sign and when is that gonna start actually happening well
1: apparently uh, th- yeah. the talk is that you darvish is gonna sign for an undermarket deal with the yankees I thought it was 160 like, million. Is that under market? And, and no, no. I mean, they were crazy. saying like 100 million or less to go with. Like I
0: don't know if it's like a four-year deal with the Yankees because the Yankees. I think it was want to get under the cap. I, I think mean, it was like
1: Krasnick or somebody had written about it. Well, um,
0: basically, right now I think you're you're seeing teams like the Dodgers, the Cubs, and the and the Yankees. I mean, if the Yankees are going to walk in into any deal, and if you've got Darvish or you've got you know Arietta, and they say that their number one priority is winning. And that they want to make, you know, an X amount of deal X amount of money for like three years or whatever, and then hit the market again. I mean, the Yankees right now can walk in and offer them something pretty compelling and say, you know what, if a team wants to spend an extra $60 million over, over two years on you, that's fine. But a, those teams don't seem to really exist right now that are willing to, to pony up and B, you just told me that winning is your, is your biggest concern and therefore we can offer you that and all you have to do is just take like two years less on, on your contract demands.
1: I mean, has it gotten to that point where those, uh, you know, like three teams in the NL and, you know, five-ish in the AL can basically like dictate what they want to play, pay players as long
0: as those players just
1: want to play in the playoffs? I mean,
0: it, or unless there's a team that it, it, there are non contending teams that are actually willing to pony up and spend the money. But if they're, if, but if I'm saying, level teams right now are not willing to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how much, how much do it. those
1: non contending teams have to pay to be able to get a player to say, yeah, I could go basically punch my ticket to the playoffs. You know, if I just take this deal, which I'm going to live comfortably at almost $100 million, but I could get another $70 million if I go here. I'm just saying, like, what's the threshold where you can basically, like, pull one of those guys in? And how much is that going to, like, basically kill teams like Milwaukee just trying to sign guys? But even right now,
0: if you look at the teams that are, are rumored to be interested in Darvish, the only ones that are even saying they're interested are ones that are competing. Well, one thing you're asking the rhetorical question of like,
2: what is the value of, you know, that extra dollar versus the playoffs? Who who has all the free agents? Scott Boris. He's sort of known to be, we're going to take the highest dollar amount generally. I mean, it, it's not a hard and fast rule, but guys who sign with Boris are generally looking for top dollar. That's part of why they go
1: to Scott Boris. Sure. That was in but, a time when you felt like you could sign anywhere and win.
0: Right. Well, and also my my point is not necessarily that top dollar might also be the Yankees offering a below-market deal.
2: That oh, yeah, if it, nobody else is. If really nobody I'm, say, I,
0: I'm saying that there is no evidence right now that non-elite teams are even in the market for pitchers right now. Well, but until these guys start signing and
2: start taking these below market deals what we think is below market until they start taking until you Darvish takes his 4-year 100 million dollar offer from the Yankees we can't really say that like this is for sure the direction things are going just because clearly they still think that something else might happen otherwise they would have already signed well, I mean unless got, they're really we've playing got a that
0: the podcast to do and like nothing's happening <laughs> yeah. so this is obviously <laughs> sure. the speculation we have to have Well yeah.
2: can we talk for a second then about Cliff Floyd's uh his No, on on MLB Network was counseling people that they should take whatever they can get, and uh, it basically like and somebody brought this up to me. Somebody on Twitter, I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was. Somebody brought up to me that Cliff Floyd did. He was one of those who who got kind of caught when the music stopped in 2002. I think it was where he got a, a pretty you know, or he maybe he was just in front of it. Um, but Cliff Floyd was on MLB Network basically saying guys have to find places to sign because they need a place to play in the spring. And like people have to start, you know, taking what's out available and what's out there. And it was kind of like, Whoa, really? You're that's well, the,
1: I, I mean, what's kind of off about that is everything's available. Nobody signed. It, it's not like, you know, musical chairs and somebody's going to get left out at this point. Right. There's so, I, I mean, there's ev- lots of teams with lots of needs still, th- but you, you can still basically stare everybody down at this point because you aren't feeling like options have dropped off. So I mean, Floyd's a little off on that. Once we
2: see one of the Boris clients sign, maybe that's. Oh, what I think
1: once once that first domino falls, which usually happens earlier earlier in the off season, we'll see everybody sign at a reasonable pace. You know, probably um, pretty quickly. Considering it'll probably be an accelerated pace.
2: Yeah. Next next one, week, this time we'll be talking you...
0: about everybody having signed. Yeah. I think one of the things you also hear about trades in general is that a lot of teams are not actually willing to make trades unless they find out that their free agent opportunities have fallen through, right? I mean, if you are, if you're the Astros per se, why? it's a little bit, you don't make the deal for Garrett Cole unless you know you can't, sign the pitchers you want in free agency, the Darvish or Arietta or whomever, unless you are getting a trade that is a great deal for you. Right. And that's what the Astros got, but there's no way that the Astros are going to overpay or offer elite talent in return for Garrett Cole when there's still potential good options, good mid to top rotation options in free agency. When Alex Cobb is sitting there.
2: Right. Or even you Darvish is sitting there. Sure. Um, so are the Brewers going to sign one of these big free agents? Is that a thing that's
1: going to happen? I mean, the news that's come out, come out recently points to no. I don't know how much of that is, you know, the Brewers are posturing a little bit saying, well, uh, we don't really see anybody that's a fit trying to get prices down. But at this point, I don't, you know. I mean, there are some things going for the Brewers
2: signing one of these top guys, especially a guy, especially a guy, who has a qualifying offer on the table. One, the Brewers are in the lowest bracket in terms of having to give up. They do not have to give up their first round pick or their second round pick. Well, that only matters for the Brewers. No, 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 but I'm saying, but that's what I, I asked. Okay. We're talking about the Brewers now.
1: I'm, but I'm yeah. just saying the players they're signing don't care as far as getting players to
0: sign. No, but they're No, but he's correct. talking about in terms of the Brewers being interested in even pursuing these people. Sure. And... Because
2: of the fact that they wouldn't have to give up, they would be giving up their supplemental B pick to sign. If they were to sign Jake Arietta, that's what it would cost them. Whereas if another team signs Jake Arietta, they're looking at potentially giving up. If it's the Giants, they give up their f- first rounder, second rounder? No, because they were in the top 10. So whatever. There are teams that would have to give up much more in terms of draft picks than what the Brewers would have to give up to sign one of these guys, which I, makes I the have cost. I no idea
0: what the Giants are doing, by the way. Um, like... A- I mean, the Giants are bad.
2: They're, they're trying to, they're, they're keeping
0: things interesting. They're trying to get one last shot at glory with this current group before they have to tear it down. I mean, do you think that down. they think that, you know, they recognize that it's an even year and they just like <laughs> think that the magic will happen? I mean, how
1: much do they think like we have, you know, Madison Bumgarner and we have Buster Posey? You don't get two guys like that very often. So we're just going to keep trying to yeah, I mean, pile enough the around the them. Yeah, and I mean, right? what was the Longoria deal to them? They gave up not much in the
2: way of prospects, and they took on some money. Yeah, so, absolutely. So but then it, Longoria it is maybe a two
0: win player these days.
2: Maybe he could. I could see Longoria having one more four to five ish win season in him in a ter- in a terrible uh, hitting park. Um, I mean, he
1: wasn't in a great park.
2: He wasn't. A, no, yeah, he wasn't in a great top, hitting park. And, and it's – the San Francisco is worse on left – it hurts lefties
0: a lot more than it hurts righties. Yeah, I mean, that's Righties fair. have a, yeah, have a better, better field to hit there, but I, I would – I will say to address your your question earlier about the Brewers, yeah. um, I, do, I, do, I do think that the Brewers are going to sign a pitcher. I I think so too. Okay, I think one sign, of those top four. I think okay, it's going to be one of the That's what I was going to
1: say. I mean, sign a pitcher is different than signing – one of the guys that we'd actually go like, oh, this is a move and we feel better about the team going into 2018. Yeah. When
2: we're talking about
0: the top four, we're talking about Darvish, Arietta, Cobb, and Lancelin. Yeah. I, like- I'll, I'll, I'll put myself out on a limb and I say, I think that the Brewers are going to sign Jake Arietta. <laughs> Everybody laughed at me when I said it earlier in the offseason. Yeah. Except you were just saying it just for fun. I'm yes, actually I know. saying it. No, no, At this, I no, at this point that- it's legit. <laughs> Okay. Now, based on like more than just my own feeling, <laughs> are you are you, you want to expand on my, that, or? Are you downgrading my feelings? <laughs> um, i've I've heard from I've heard from some people that uh, would suggest that the Brewers are very interested in Jake Arrieta as long as things don't get out of control, and that I think that right now in the market in which free agency is happening. Uh, I don't see that the markets are going to go crazy based on what we're hearing about Darvish, and um,
1: but as long as they don't go crazy, it means we're probably going to wait because these guys are going to want to make sure that they exhaust every possibility abso- before taking a deal. And Boris is going to yeah,
2: like if if we sign if the Brewers sign Jake Arrieta, it's probably not happening until pitchers and
0: catchers report. Like that would be, they'll probably be February. I mean, it, yeah, depending on how quickly things going. I don't think that the Brewers are a bad situation for a player, right? Like, And I don't think that the Brewers are only going to come in and say that, hey, we're going to offer you three years, 90 million, take it or leave it. And we're going to try to bank on the fact that we're offering more per season than offering a longer term contract. I just I'm saying that as long as it doesn't go like six years, 150 million, I think that the Brewers are going to have a solid
1: shout. I forget, somebody did ask, uh, who was it, Jeremy Reese? He was asking whether we thought that there'd be a big announcement at the on-deck event, which would be, what, three weeks? Two weeks from now. Two weeks
2: then. from now? Yeah, two weeks from today, I think.
1: Might be a little early, and they wouldn't do it at the event. They would do an introduction maybe if they get it done.
2: Right. The, keeping breaking news for teams to actually break any substantial news nowadays is almost unheard of. It has happened, but it almost never happens at this point.
1: It's very yeah. rare yeah so. so to
2: try to keep something a lid on something like that with all the well, people especially up there chasing this especially
1: if it's going to be you know at that point if if they sign Arietta before the on deck event or for the on deck event it's probably going to be the first major signing of the off season let's be honest if if they sign Jake Arietta
2: John Heyman is breaking the story two seconds after that deal is done. Sure. If it's not somebody else. Which, if it's not
1: already been broken. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. So it's going to be out before the event. But um, hey, let's talk about somebody who's actually on the Brewers. You want to do that? Sure. Okay. Uh, We know about Orlando Garcia's defense. Uh, What do you think his ceiling is as a hitter? I see a sneaky, strong guy who can drive the ball to all fields and whose plate discipline showed some gradual improvement as the season went on last year. Could he be good enough to be a one- or two-hole hitter at some point? And that's from Jason Spitz. So what do we see as uh, Orlando Garcia's ceiling? Like, we're talking purely offensively? Yeah.
2: Somebody, like Edgar Renteria comes to mind. Edgar Renteria was a pretty good hitter in his, pre, in his peak. He had some seasons where he was, um, wow, he actually had seasons where he was up at 130 OPS plus. I didn't realize he had, I thought
1: he would, well, would he peaked yeah, out a little bit lower than that. But for the most part, I mean, his, he was in a sin, pretty big offensive era.
2: His, his peak is something, I think, like that.
1: where That high? Eh, yeah. I don't think RC is ever going to have the power for his, numbers. For his
2: best seasons, though, I mean you're talking about his very best, probably more 110, 115-ish. Than one thirty, so maybe Renterie is a little bit high offensively. Um, what do you think, JP? Uh,
0: I, I mean, I kind of see what he did last year as a pretty solid benchmark of what his likely ceiling is. I mean, I think that he does have solid bat to ball skills. Obviously, um, I don't think his plate discipline is is good enough to be anything more than a two seventy five to two ninety hitter. And I'm not necessarily sure that he even even with, you know, the so-called juice ball or, or, you know, the launch angle revolution or whatever you want to call it. I don't think he's going to hit more than I'd be surprised if he hits 20, 20 homers in a year. And so last year, if you think that he hit 277 with 15 homers. I mean, either he's going to have to just have just an otherworldly like a home run per fly ball rate. For one year, because even last year with 15 homers, his his iso power was only 130.
1: I would say he felt I mean, like if if he really got into one, you felt like he kind of sold out on it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, and he's he was able to show some power to especially right center field as it, as it went along. But that was really more doubles power than anything. And I mean, his his uh, his BABIP last year was about 320. So, I mean, if he just gets like on ungodly batted ball luck, maybe he could hit 300, but I mean, he's still chasing a ton of balls outside the zone. His swinging strike rate is still about 13%. Um, I know that he's not striking out a lot because he can put the ball into play, even if it's not super hard contact. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying a guy is a 280 hitter with 15 to 20 homers at his peak. That's a really good shortstop. If he's, if he's phenomenal, uh, defensively, which he is, yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: yeah, I I think he'll he'll have seasons that are better offensively than what he did at age twenty two. I think we'll see that. I think if he settles like, into that as his sort of career norm, but like I can where see do that. See,
0: where do you see the the like improvement coming? Because I don't think that you can really argue based on his power projection, based on you know his swing or anything that he's a 2020 20 to 25 Homer hitter annually. If
2: the ball stays the same, and that's the big caveat here is we know that there's, that there's been a change in the baseball. And if that stays the same and we don't know that it will, um, I think he'll, he'll have a season where he hits 25, maybe 30 where he, Where are just where it all comes together. He's 22. He's going to add, what was his slash? Well, this people, people don't magically get better just because they get older guys do get tend to get stronger guys do tend to add like upper body strength as they get older as they get you know he at this point is not as as strong as he's going to be in a few years well hold on now now that's if he the adds likely this, bet
1: if he adds this weight and strength does that mean we're gonna get more home runs and he's going to lose a lot in the field potentially to, yes so i mean as far as a player do you see him as being more valuable at that point no but the question was offense Okay. Guys do tend
2: to add strength. I mean, it's not; it doesn't always happen, but guys do tend to add strength and become – they don't tend to hit their most home runs in their career when they're 22.
1: I mean, I don't know if he really has a swing for the power you're talking about. I, also Reg- I also do, Swings do change.
0: Like just because, well, yeah. But then you're just saying that maybe a dude, like obviously anybody in the minors, could eventually he be a 35 home run hitter? Because hey, things change. Like I, I can't believe the idea that like he hasn't reached his offensive ceiling at age 22 is a controversial idea.
1: Well, we're thinking you're going a little overboard with like the the home run projections. I mean, to
2: do it in one season, guys have
1: outliers. I mean, run seasons. sure. Okay, hold Most on. Guys hold at on. At some point in their career, now, have th- an outlier. This is home pretty run easy season. for you to say, like, oh, I believe he could hit X number of home runs once. Well, I mean, that's fine. That's not really saying like, what do you think he could be if he hits the top level of his potential as a player? Yeah, it's probably a little bit. You're, you're less- just kind of dreaming. Like, what's the best a player could be? you know, just randomly throw out some stuff about him. But I mean, legitimately, what do you think his ceiling could be as a player? Like where he'll settle in is probably yes. more. It's probably, so
2: he had a, we're talking about this year, it was a 89, somewhere around a hundred is probably where he, he could settle in if things go well for him. But that means he will probably have a season then where it's 120, 125.
0: So last year, do you think he was better in the first half or the second half in terms of offense?
2: Uh, I thought he heated up, wasn't it in, in like June, and then was good into sort of mid august. He sort of was right in the dead heart of the season like he had he had his hot and cold streaks he was he was cold at the beginning and cold at the He's end. He's just letting you walk yeah, into this. I have a feeling I'm just i like I'm just going off of memory. I'm not looking it up, so <laughs> well,
0: I'm, I'm just saying that he was that he was be- that he was markedly better in the first half. And I mean outside of uh June he like you said he heated up in June. Outside of June was the only time in which he really hit for any power outside of August a little bit, but then he still only hit 259. Uh, his on-base percentage was barely 300 in August. And Oof. in September he hit 297, but like his slugging percentage was 390. And so it was a lot of singles. It was a lot of singles. And so, like, I'm just... So, anyway, I was just going to say that most people that have been in my Twitter feed in general, not not yourself, um, have suggested that he... That's what should happens be able when project, you mute Ryan. <laughs> that we should be able to... Uh, <laughs> that we should be able to project great things for Orlando Arcea based on his second-half performance. And offensively, he was actually worse in the second half than he was in the first half. Because the vast majority of what he did that people remember was in June. Yeah, that carried... He didn't get quite as low. His worst
2: month was May. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. Uh, so Keith Anderson asks, would it be smarter to invest in a big name free agent pitcher sooner rather than later so larger contracts can be staggered? So basically, do we sign an Arrieta now so that way once, uh, hey, you know, Brinson turns out or uh, they need to sign Arcia or somebody else, you know, they aren't basically overlapping a lot of contracts.
0: Mm-hmm
2: theoretically yeah but i think you have to make the good deals when you can and where they where they lie i mean you can't force something just because well this is this is like the plan you have to sort of take what comes and what you can arrange that that works well but theoretically yes like if you can if you could stagger things out a little bit like that and put what is you think likely sort of dead money and spread it out that does there's, there's something to be said for that, to keep like a consistent contention, which is Stern's stated goal, is to be consistently contending. But then there's the other line of thought that says, well, if you load up a bunch of bad contracts at once, it can facilitate a rebuilding phase, which you can then use to you know bottom out, get top draft picks, and get back into contention quicker, as opposed to sort of keeping things going. So it, it sort of depends if you want to heavily cycle through up and down, or if you want to you know, try to stay consistent.
1: Is there something to be said for just being consistent right now, JP? I mean, you think with, you're talking about the top, you know, how it was top heavy and then a lot of teams who just see themselves as as being out of it. Is there something to be said for, hey, we're just going to try to keep hanging around every season and knock out 85 and hope to get up to 90 wins and in the playoffs?
0: Yeah, I mean, right now I think that one of the things that the Brewers or any other team, you know, whether you want to say it's even the Pirates or, or the Diamondbacks or whomever, even though the Diamondbacks were rumored to try to, they were trying to get out of the, the Granky contract already. Um, I think one of the things that teams aren't doing right now is their the rebuilding teams are not leveraging their payroll situation. Um, I don't see any reason right now. If you look at the Brewers and you were to say two years from now, You would like to think that, that Jimmy, obviously things are always changing, but you would like to think that Jimmy Nelson, I believe would be kind of what the last year, uh, in his, in his arbitration year. Uh, you would like to think that you've got people like, you know, Burns, you've got people like Ortiz, you've got Woodruff, you've got Hader, you've got all of these people starting to, to finally cycle through. And you've got interesting arms, even lower than that as well. Um, that you would actually think that maybe right now is the time to invest money because three years from now, you might not necessarily have to do that because you've already got the internal options available to you. And then somebody that is on a larger contract, whether it be Arietta Darvish or whomever, you've got a situation in which either you can, if they, if they actually pitch well, you can try to leverage it or you're in a position in which you then can you know, put that person at the back end of your rotation, and you can look to spin off some of your other pieces for upgrades, much like the Yankees were doing with CC Sabathia.
1: So, uh, Ryan, is there anybody right now that you'd be looking at giving an extension to? I mean, they already did uh, Chase Anderson; they got an extra year, extra year, two years out of him. I mean, theoretically,
2: Jimmy Nelson, but it's so. It's it's impossible for somebody I was gonna say outside to really speak intelligently on that right now because I don't know that the the brewers and he even know exactly where he's headed with this injury, much less somebody
1: who, you know. I mean the brewers would be looking at getting a well under market deal for Nelson and Nelson would say, Well, hold on a, I wanna I wanna yeah, get I wanna get back. Money. Yeah, I wanna get back and show you that I'm that guy and cash in on it. And earn Absolutely. more money.
2: Yeah. I mean there's a question of do you want to go for safety and get your
0: life-changing money set for life money now? I mean, at what, time, at what I mean, point do they look hit, at? He just hit, what, like $3 million in in arbitration right now? $3.7 3. 3, yeah. Yeah, and if so you're smart, if if you're smart does, and modest with that, that's enough to live on the rest of your but life. But even if you don't do anything and he's injured and is just riding on, like, if he comes back and is is fine, I mean, next year he's making $4 million. Right? At least, yeah. I mean, yeah, probably bigger, yeah. yeah, probably a bigger ball so, than that. So I mean, in general, as long as you don't get non-tendered, which I understand is a is something that one should be worried about, especially if you don't have a guaranteed contract. But like, things would have to go really badly for Jimmy Nelson to get non-tendered. Yeah, and then you have a situation in which you'd be looking at if you even just skate through your arbitration, or even you start to pitch well and you get through your arbitration, you're looking at fifteen million dollars and that's conservative that's yeah that is that is probably
2: about the conservative end of what he's likely to make
0: right so then at that point like what is life changing money cuz for me you know 15 million seems to be pretty life changing in general right so to give up the the top end
2: projection and he's not he won't be hitting free agency as a young pitcher because he took no. a, uh, he took his time in the minors, so
0: no. But uh, Stearns Stearns has shown that the only way he's going to do that is he's going to give uh, probably a two year deal, maybe a three year deal. That would be offering probably under what he would project to to offer or to get in arbitration, and then he would be saddled with probably two, uh, at least option one, years.
2: maybe two option years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You would think that, yeah. And so does that. Does that offer Nelson what he wants? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, it,
1: before we get too far on assigning Jimmy Nelson a contract, is there anybody else we we'd look at giving an extension to? Do we like an Orlando Arcia right now? Maybe. Sure. Again, you're talking about the right price.
2: It's got to be for him. It would be a longer deal. You would need You've got to be, understand.
0: For Ryan, you can't give. A, you can't actually spend money. It's got to just be it's got to be a situation in which it has to be a team friendly (laughs) deal. It's got to be something that which you can go brag to your friends afterwards that you got like this great deal on this really nice thing. (laughs) So is it Yeah, with him? Because
2: you're looking at a guy who still has five years of team control. You would need at least uh, you'd need you would need to see some um, some additional years there. You're not talking about a three year deal for Orlando Arceus. No, you're probably talking about like seven at this point. Probably, I mean, there would probably be an option in there, maybe six plus an option or something. You could see that, and it would, but That's it would okay. need to be. What's that? It's a big difference from what Steve said. Sure, yes, <laughs> but it would be. <laughs> but we're talking about what a thirty-five ish, thirty-five to fifty, somewhere in there. I mean, I
1: guess did this past season give you enough confidence to say you know we'd like to see Orlando or see us stay with the
0: Brewers for seven seasons? Well, I think the the biggest thing that you'd be looking at from the Brewers' perspective is that right now they've got so much depth in their minor league system that you don't necessarily want to tie yourself into something for Orlando Arcia when you've got shortstops that legitimately could come up in the future. You know, if you think that Isan Diaz could stick it short, which I don't. But if you do think that that's the case, or if you really want to dream on Mar- Mauricio Dubon, but you've also got some shortstops that are even further down that have been on uh, international deals that could potentially be something. And so maybe Orlando RC is not as good of an option as like, or a good of an example as like starting pitchers or outfielders or whatever, but you still don't want to get into a position in which you're offering long deal, long-term deals when you've got a system that could potentially give you something that a could be better or B could give you something that's kind of the same level and cheaper, unless you have a legitimate superstar. If you think that if you think Orlando RC is a four to five win player per year for the next five years, then sure. Then you pursue that. Um, I could see something in which you would say, maybe you try to lock him up on a five-year deal or a six-year deal with a couple of options, because at that point you have some cost assurance and then you can try to flip them down the road. If somebody does come up through the system, but at that same point, like a, that deal has to be so team friendly that anything would be, it'd be like the Jonathan Lucroy deal. Right. But yeah. if you're, if then, if you're like Orlando, Ryan's, Orange, Ryan's know, still just
1: excited thinking about that. Lucroy I know
0: he had a huge smile across his face as soon as I mentioned it. Um, This is like one of the few podcasts, by the way, that I've actually been able to see both Steve and Ryan. So this is like now I get to see what Ryan actually uh, looks like in the middle of it in In terms of in the middle of contract discussions (laughs) in terms of like having having reactions to below market deals. And he just gets utter glee on his face. I have the vapors right now (laughs) fanning myself. But you have a situation in which you would need to make sure that deal is so team friendly that you're not handcuffing yourself and it's still going to be attractive as a trade asset. Um, And then in that case, is Orlando R.C. even going to be interested in something that's just so team friendly that it's it's utterly valuable, invaluable to the Brewers? Are we going
1: to see a departure from the Melvin years where he gave out extensions to a lot of the young core players that came up? But he waited. He pretty much everybody got
2: their deals, but they had to wait until they were. Either in arbitration, I would or say most were. of them are
1: arbitration eligible. I think Corey Hart was the only one that actually like didn't take a deal, and they had to. Right, yeah. they went to arbitration. Went, with him. He but. was like the first I, arbitration hearing they had in a
0: long time. But the, the thing to remember is that well, Stearns did the Stearns did try to extend Jonathan VR last winter. He did, and well, yes,
2: and I'm wondering Corey Canable, That's an interesting one because how much do you want to rely on? Zero Mm. relief pitch. (laughs) Yes, Steve. Um, how much do you really want to to book on that? And he still has three years. I mean, you're looking right now, he has two years of control. Yes, because he's getting the saves, the, the numbers gonna escalate. Like he's because he's now the guy getting saves, arbitration arbitrators love that crap. Like they love saves. So you have to pay for that stuff in arbitration. I, I'd rather
1: see the Brewers pay because he keeps doing it as opposed to
0: signing him to be something, and then he falls apart because that's what relief pitchers do. They break yeah, your heart. I, I I agree with Steve for that. I don't think there's much – there's not much incentive right now for the Brewers, I think, to be able to offer a contract extension to, to a reliever. I don't think that makes a lot of sense. But I did look back, and uh, last winter, the Brewers tried to – Uh, lock up Jonathan VR for a contract extension at $20 million guaranteed. Um, And he turned it down. And obviously that, you know, you have questions about whether or not that was intelligent, but he still got paid, you know, via arbitration. I was going to say, this was his first year of arbitration, correct? Yes. We went over that. Yeah.
2: Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that probably does what I was saying then for the RCA deal. It's probably a little bit low to talk about doing like a five to six year deal. He would probably need to see something closer to 50. And I doubt the team would do that just because there's not a compelling reason to do so at this point because of all the other options they have, because of how far he is away from free agency, because of, you know, all the things that can happen.
1: Yeah. So, So. hey, uh, JP, did you uh, go through your Netflix library and catch up on some of those baseball movies we were talking about last week?
0: I didn't, but I did get some baseball trivia for you.
1: Oh, you want to do trivia?
0: Oh, let's do some trivia.
1: Okay, we'll do trivia real quick.
0: So because
1: I only need like a question, so this will be
0: really quick. Well, yeah, you only need one clue, right? So this is uh, Ryan's chance to be able to actually uh, kind of redeem himself because he before we even started this podcast, by the way, Ryan was already complaining about the fact that Steve did so well last time we did did Brewers trivia. So noted grudge holder. (laughs) (laughs) Put that in the Twitter bio. Uh, So I'm, I'm going to give one clue. Uh, both of you can can give a guess in between the next clue, but only one guess. And uh, this time, I'm not going to wait as long to give Steve, you know, two minutes to think of his answer before we get to the chance. That to did us. not
1: take two minutes. I think I it don't took know at least it is. 15.
0: It was relative, relatively quick. So, uh, Ryan, did you want to uh, get a guess in? <laughs> Just try. <laughs> All right. So, this is uh, I was born October 17th, 1981. In Arecibo, Puerto Rico. Next. All right, second clue. I was drafted in the 19th round by the Houston Astros out of Delta State University. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I tried to make this one harder to redeem myself a little bit from the last one. I played one year for the Milwaukee Brewers. It was in 2012. I also played for the Houston Astros and was later signed by the Chicago Cubs, even though I never made a big league appearance with the Cubs.
1: So you made an appearance with the Brewers?
0: Multiple appearances. Multiple appearances.
1: In fact, in 2012. Oh, wow. Jim Henderson. No. He's from Canada. (laughs) Solid shout. Oh, that's right. (laughs) That's right. I got No, see what you did. It it made made
0: no sense with the first one, but. Yeah. I'm like, who's a relief pitcher that didn't make. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, It's nice to hear Jim Henderson's name. Uh, I hit a grand slam for the Brewers against the Chicago Cubs in 2012. Oh, God. I remember the. Oh, he's a middle infielder. Um,
2: Edwin Masonette.
0: Yeah, very well done. Very well done. And there was only one more clue as well. so I, Yeah, I can just, picture that. Home, I can yeah. picture that Grand Slam. Anytime Absolutely. the Brewers do
2: well against the Cubs, it, it means a little extra it, to me. It sticks
1: around in your mind, yeah. yeah. The around last around clue around was
0: I, I played shortstop that year along with Cesar Torres and Cody Ransom. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. What an absolute dumpster fire at shortstop it was that year. And, 2002- and Brooks, Brooks Conrad also played. Oh, uh, mother shortstop of God.
1: Wait, wait, wait. So that was the dumpster fire at shortstop, and that was after uni Betancourt. So everybody was happy about it.
0: That actually might not be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, so at shortstop that year, uh, Brooks Conrad played short. Uh, Jeff Bianchi played short. Bianchi. Bianchi. Bianchi.
1: <laughs> if you don't matter, your name doesn't get pronounced correctly.
0: Bianchi. If it's if it's actually pronounced in the Italian, uh, Edwin Masonette played obviously, and then uh, Gene Segura ended up finishing the year at shortstop for for the Brewers in two thousand twelve. Oh, and he got the call up. Okay, yep, all the potential in the world. So, um, oh, but anyways, the year, by the way, that was the year that uh, Levon Hernandez pitched for the Brewers as well, which I had completely forgotten about. Oh yeah, he was he was doing his
2: uh, old man soaking up innings thing at that point. That was and fantastic. I, and he didn't do it that well for the Brewers. Well, no, he was he was a particularly old man at that point.
1: Well, but the point yeah, he was supposed to come in and soak up innings and like he couldn't get out of an inning. So that kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, did. yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: Well, he did finish 36.1 innings that year. <laughs> but who was it? How it? many games was it? <laughs> uh it was 26 games. Well, his so ERA his ERA with the Brewers that six. It was six? Seven. 7.68 oh, so. oh mother of god <laughs> <laughs> wow
1: it's not, you can't always have eric Gregg behind the plate
0: <laughs> <laughs> r.i.p <A>. <laughs> oh, no and you have to remember right 2012 was right in that uh when the offensive environment was starting to collapse as well so that was even worse than, i was even in, uh, well into collapse at that point yeah yeah so the average pitcher at that point was like at a what was it three eight three nine in terms of era oh god Yikes, anyway, just a little bit in the throwback machine so we can uh, so we can think about people like Cesar Torres, Edwin Masonette, Levon Hernandez, Jim Henderson. I was gonna say, to be fair though, Jim Henderson actually was, was pretty good, he was for, good for a minute, like, a year. I don't yeah. know how I pulled Edwin Masonette out of the air. Like that, that one, I never would have gotten
1: because it you, when you said you, it. I remembered yeah. the name, but that is not somebody that how I that's one. If if baseball reference doesn't exist, I'm not wasting space in my head to remember a name
0: like that. <laughs> Man, it literally that, is just because that bad grand grand slam. slam against the Cubs, though, was That was, was everything. Excellent. Yeah, it was everything. Yeah. That was awesome.
1: So, okay. Uh, well, that's going to do it for the show this week. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can also submit questions to Milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes soundcloud stitcher and in the google play store uh you can leave reviews and help people find the podcast yeah we should apologize before we get out of here we need to apologize for leaving uh a league of their own out oh yeah
2: we need we need to to rectify that situation because that was egregious and eight men out for
1: that matter like those two needed to get there was a league of their own eight men out uh bad news bears Bad news bears. Yeah. Other people brought up the natural, the we're both thumbs down. No, on that natural's one. thumbs down. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that'll be, we'll do an extra podcast where we just do her movie. Re- <laughs> we'll do a full hour of movie reviews. <laughs> Maybe we'll do what we should do is we should like live tweet a movie and then we can talk about it later on an extra podcast. We can really get people involved. Can I be gone? I had to, well, you don't like to live tweet movies? I also don't want to review movies. Well, I mean, you don't have to, like, talk about, like, frame composition or anything (laughs) like that. As
0: soon as I said that, both Steve and Ryan were, like, utterly, like, disgusted with what I just said. (laughs) Both of them said, how dare you? Well, (laughs) it's
1: something where you can just, like, throw out opinions that nobody can really prove right or wrong. I mean, it's better than, you know, having baseball opinions where you can kind of go, no, that guy is crappy.
0: Well, unless you skip Bayless and they can just say whatever you want. Well, I don't know. Skip who, Bayless doesn't talk about baseball. I don't. I don't God. know. I don't know
1: who that is. That's fair.
0: That's fair. So
1: yeah. Well, yeah. He did can. Did you know base-
0: Skip? Did you know that Skip Bayless's brother is Rick Bayless, like a super famous chef? No, I did not. I've heard He's Skip the, Bayless
2: is like personally a really nice guy. Like okay, well we're not go- people. We like, don't need stop, to tell stop.
0: Stop.
1: This off. is all going to get edited out. This is all going away. <laughs>
0: It anyway. Is. Rick we, we, Bayless apparently uh, owns the Frontera Company, so like the tortilla chips, salsa, all that kind of stuff. Huh. You guys look at it, what do you guys do? I don't read up about the Baylesses. <laughs> Why it not? Yet. I'm not gonna that read exposes of Skip and Rick. I was gonna Come say at part so, of
1: my Wikipedia. I was gonna, say somebody went down a, a rabbit hole on Wikipedia yeah. when I was looking up Skip Bayless.
0: Man, Skip Bayless, the one thing I will say about Skip Bayless, and I actually wouldn't be surprised if Skip Bayless was actually a really nice guy. I think Skip Bayless understood how he was going to make money, and it was literally just, it was to be a professional troll, and just, like, make people upset. And that's yeah, but just that's, how he And I'm fine, I'm money. fine with all of that. Like, that's, okay, fine, whatever. But
2: the fact that he did it with a simmering undercurrent of white grievance...
1: That pretty much he's, at that he's point. Also, he's also like a 70-year-old man. So. Well, yeah, but yeah. The, like the homophobia part, that was in the 90s when he was covering the Cowboys. Yeah. He, he, he wrote in a book that Troy Aikman was gay. And like made it a thing.
2: And yeah, made it a thing. Not only, but he didn't write it explicitly. He, he was just weaselly enough to be able to give plausible deniability. Yeah. No, it was terrible. And there was, this is was like 20 years ago. He was, he was kind of like, he was shitty back then too. Like he's been shitty for a long time.
0: I don't. I I probably wasn't doing anything in related to reading Skip Bayless when I was seven. Well, I didn't know who he was until he showed up on Cold Pizza with Woody Page. and so you like
1: went back to read that. No, I just know of it because people have talked about the fact that he's a shitty person for having. Well, and done I think that. you could find like Aikman. Like trying not to talk about him at points. Oh no,
2: Troy Aikman flat out when they hired when FS when Fox hired him, yeah. Troy Aikman was like, "This guy is a piece of crap, and I do not want to work with him, and I don't think we should be in the business of employing this guy." And it didn't matter because they'd already ha- they already signed the contract. But like Aikman flat out said, you know, he's not a good human. being.
1: Well, you know, in the Jamie Horowitz era at Fox Sports uh, went really well.
2: Yeah, that was that was fantastic. Like that ended the way it
1: should have ended. Hey, let's kill let's kill a website and then also have everybody hate us at all times. <laughs> and unleash good, great marketing there. Way to go! Yeah, unleash stellar. Colin
2: Cowherd and uh, the combined forces of Colin Cowherd and uh, Jason Whitlock together, and like give Clay Travis a platform to operate from.
1: I mean, they all would have had a platform. Anyways, bigger platform at worst. Well, no, it isn't a bigger platform. At worst, they would have like stayed on ESPN and actually had a bigger platform. Well, Clay Travis got a bigger platform than he ever should have gotten. But
2: yes, the other two had I don't, a bigger platform at other points. I don't yes. follow
1: SEC football. So <laughs> also, it's like Clay Travis said something dumb and his kids have lice. And I'm like, okay. Clay
2: Travis's kids have lice he got, you heard it here
1: first. Oh my God, this is really going off the rails. No, this was on uh, It was I don't know Deadspin. Six, six months ago on like Deadspin. yeah, he had a whole big hissy fit because there was an airline that said you cannot bring your lice infested children on this plane and he's like, how dare you like uh, violate HIPAA laws? Yeah, no, it was crazy, and I'm like, no, sure. no, your children have lice. You don't put them in a tube with <laughs> other people, and they can spread lice. Like, no, no lice incubators, please. No, keep your cooties at home. Like, wash your kids every hey, once Cooter, in a while. Keep your cooties at home. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, hey, you know what? You were reading us out. I was reading. I, I was you. reading us out. So. Uh, <laughs> You know what? People are going to be like, "Yeah, that was the best five minutes of the podcast." (laughs) I think we went more than five. Um, So yeah, if you like that, we'll uh, launch another podcast where we just rant about uh, media types for an hour. I guess every week. Oh, we could do
0: that. We could definitely. I also think it's been absolute bullshit that I haven't gotten to talk about Liverpool's win today. So, and in that way, that's the way I know I can get you to read us out is if I start to bring that up. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week. I'm Milwaukee's
0: Stalingate. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah.
2: I knew I could get us out that way. Yeah, exactly. that is, is? That's, your, that's your, The GP exit strategy <laughs> is start talking soccer and Steve will just cut it right there. We're done. <laughs>